please go to Psalm 62. As we're going to look at King David, that minstrel, that songwriter. And uh, this summer I was studying the life of David and I uh, was amazed at his, uh, well, I don't know how to put it, lack of uh, righteous living now and then. And uh, I was surprised at that, but then when you get to the Psalms, you see this man's heart just bore open, ripped open before God. And so there are times, I guess we could all confess that we fail the Lord, but yet our hearts are turned towards Him. David would repent and cry out to God. He was a man after God's own heart because his own heart, his heart, was moved by God, was just attached and connected to God by the power of His Spirit. And he writes something that I want to look at this morning in Psalm 62. And he says this, and this is what I want to focus in on. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. And that's what I want to share with you this morning, that we would pour out our hearts before Him. Now there is something about that phrase. To pour out your heart to God means to go deeper than you've gone before. It means to empty yourself. In fact, when we look at the word to pour out in Hebrew, it's, it's uh, sapak, which means to spill forth, to pour out, to bear one's soul in sorrow or in anger. And it literally means to pour out all the contents of a vessel. So when he says to put your trust in the Lord and pour out your heart before him, he's making reference to even the, the drink offering that was given before the tabernacle of God. Because in that offering, they were to take the wine and they were to pour it out at the altar. And he's referencing that with your heart. We need to empty our hearts before God. You see, we got secret places in our hearts that we hold tight. Sometimes the compartment's like a submarine. You know they have compartments in a submarine that if you close them off, they'll be watertight so that even if you spring a hole somewhere else, you can close them off, keep them watertight, nothing can get in. You know there's areas of your heart that are like that? God has saved you. He saved you completely, but there's areas of your heart that you've not allowed that delivering power to enter and saturate and cleanse. If that were the case, why would Paul tell us to renew our minds from the patterns of this world? Do you know what a pattern is? It's a template. It's, a, it's an addiction. It's a, something that repeats over and over. And so we need to be renewed because there's places in our heart that we have not emptied before God. Now, the word even implies sorrow or anger. And he's saying, be honest before God. The best way to pray is to pray with a whole heart of honesty. If you're angry with God, then let it out. If you have sorrow, if you're broken, then let your brokenness pour out like rivers. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, his heart would pour out like rivers of water. And so we need to pour ourselves out and to be honest and to be transparent. And you've got to empty the whole thing. You ever eat something really good, right? And people are going, they want that thing emptied out. God's saying, come on, pour it out. 
empty everything out. Can you imagine leaving a little bit of filth in a glass, but you put brand new, clean, sparkling water in there? Just had a little bit of sludge, that's all. You can have it here. Right? You ever been at a restaurant? You hold your glass up, and there's like lipstick and finger marks. It's like, no, I don't think so. Well, what are we offering God? A heart full of lipstick and fingerprints from us. Never cleansed, not dealt with. And the only one who can clean it is the agent of the Holy Spirit. We have to empty ourselves out. And so David is taking us to a place and a level of communication that, in all honesty, we don't go to that often. There are times when we need to pour out our hearts like never before. I teach a marriage school here, uh, Marriage Covenant Institute, and in that class I teach about communicating, and there's five levels of communication. And uh, in these five levels of communication in a marriage, they go from surface to deep, all right? So level five communication, we do that all the time. That's like, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Right? That's, and men are very comfortable there. That's, we live there. What's up? That's as far as we need to go. We're good. Women can't stay. They don't want to be at that level. Well, that's level one communication. God wants a little more out of us than, hey, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, that's like a, hey, right? He wants more. Level two is, let's have the facts. The facts. Guys, are still comfortable there. How about those tigers? They lost. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? You share your facts and information, and, and people do that. How was your day? Fine, good. How was your day? Really good. Uh, the dog got hit by a car. Oh, wow, that's terrible. Just taking to the, you know, your average stuff. And so, again, very surfacy. And we even pray in that level and type of communication. God, help me. You need to do this, and you need to do that. Level two, communication with God. Level three is we begin to get interested, and this is where women live. Because they get engaged at level three conversation. Women can be apart for how many years and then they come together and they pick up the conversation they had 10 years ago. Oh, his name was Bob. <laughs> right. It's just like, boom, they're there. It's like guys are trying to find their way into that. What's the first thing when a group of people come together at a house or anywhere else? All the women go over here and the men over here because their level of communication is so off. You ever see that? Guys will talk about a subject and then finish it. <laughs> what about the Olympics? Well, they've come. All right, world economics. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Women will weave in and out of conversation and over the hills and through the dales, and guys are lost. <laughs> then they end up at the grocery store following their wife behind the car. <laughs> Until they sit on the, the bench with other guys and they go, what about those tigers? <laughs> and then they're good. We do that with God. Men, <laughs> we've got to get there. Now level two is where people begin to care. They share their emotions. They share their feelings about something. We need to get level two. Your marriage should hit a level two conversation uh, maybe once a day, how about? <laughs> but level one, 
is where you pour your heart out. When it is heart to heart. We can't live at level one. It's really hard because you can't pour your heart out continually. But it's good for us to get to those places and in those places you find healing. You bear your heart. Have you ever been in a situation, a lot of times arguments and fights get you to level one. Have you ever noticed that? Right? Because you've been holding in that deep information and your deep feelings for so long that finally when you get in a fight and you go, oh yeah, well I never liked that suit. <laughs> what do you mean? I thought you loved this. No, I never liked it. You know, and then you get into honesty. Level one can do that. We need to get there, and that's what's, what David is trying to say to us. You need to pour out your heart to God. Now, where do you find a place where you can pour yourself out? I'll tell you where. It's at an altar. It's like the drink offering. That's what he's making reference to. King David is talking about visually considering that drink offering because at an altar, something must die. You must sacrifice something. And what God wants is a contrite heart. Remember what David wrote in another song or psalm? Bulls and goats and calves and offerings you are not pleased with, but a contrite heart, a contrite, humble spirit. That's what pleases you. And Jesus, in fact, those are the words of Christ. Literally, what David was speaking was the very prophetic voice of Christ to the Father. Hebrews 10 records that, where it says that Jesus said to the Father, Bulls and sacrifice you would not, but a body you have prepared for me. And so Christ came to be that heart of God that was going to be poured out at the altar of God for you and I. Did God express His heart fully? Yes. And did God pour out Jesus Christ on the altar of the cross? Did He expose His heart? John 1.18 says that from the bosom of the Father, the Son has come. And he says that he demonstrated his love for us, that while we were, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's the heart of God. So what he wants from you is some level one communication from time to time so that he could cleanse your heart and minister to the depths of your soul. Listen to what Lamentations says. Lamentations 2, 19 says, Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Because again, you can't get fresh brought in if the contamination's still there. And so if we don't empty, and I mean literally empty our hearts, then whatever's poured in goes right over the bitterness the anger, the discouragement, whatever issues you're still hanging on to. We took communion this morning, and the key to communion is that we would forgive others as we have been forgiven so that we would not take that meal unworthily. How could we be a covenant people who have had all our sins forgiven, but we hold other people's sins against them? That is a complete contradiction to our faith. And so we would be not discerning the body of Christ and taking it unworthily. Do you understand that? And so how? We must pour our hearts out to God. Like in your marriage or in your friendships, every now and then you hit that level one communication and honestly express your soul to each other. 
And then you can mend things and heal things and restore things. You come to an altar so that something will die. And in the Scriptures, we know that anytime something dies, God gives us a promise of what? Resurrection life. God wants to bring you to a new level of glory. Well, you need to come and pour your heart out. I'm, I'm saddened by many churches, especially Pentecostal churches nowadays, who are eliminating that altar time, taking away the altars of the Lord, taking away that time to pray and seek His face. Now you don't have to, we, we built an altar here, it doesn't have to be at an altar or at steps, it could be in your house, it could be in your car, it could be in your garage, it could be at work. But it's that sense, what an altar is, is coming clean with God. It's coming to God to sacrifice your self-interests to get the heart of God. That's what the entire Old Testament was built on. All that visual and all that demonstration of sacrifices was because the Spirit didn't dwell in people. God had to instruct them to get their heart engaged. Sometimes I think we're missing out on something there. Sometimes I think that if we would all get up at about 5 a.m. and consider which lamb we want to bring to the Lord to sacrifice and kill, consider how that would affect your livestock and the money that needs to come in because you're going to lessen that and it's going to cost you. Consider the time it's going to take to butcher that animal and for you to lay your hands on the body of that animal and to feel its pain as its life is being drawn out because of your sins. Sometimes I think we need that help. Because we just look at pictures of Jesus and go, thanks. You know what I'm saying? But David says, come on, I need you to pour your heart out. Empty your heart out. And we do that at the altar. The church is becoming altarless. We have to get in. We've got to get out. We've got to make sure that you get to lunch, to breakfast, get your coffee, get your this, get your that. Uh, let's keep the word shorter. Let's keep the worship down. Sit down, stand up. We're good. You're good. Let's get out of here. It's like, wow. Pour out our heart. We just spit a few words. That was about it. So God needs a people who will once again come back to the altar and pour themselves out. What are the results? What's good for us? Number one, it cleanses your soul. We pour out our soul to God. We get our frustrations out. Now, the thing about the psalms is that they are templates. They're put in there. Have you ever read some of these psalms and you're going like, really? Uh, dash their babies' heads against the rocks? Okay. How am I supposed to sing that? <laughs> Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Kill all the babies and smash their heads. How do I praise God with that? Well, what you have to understand is there are praise psalms, and then there are psalms of anguish, psalms that David is just sharing his heart. And he's crying out to God in frustration and anger. And God put them in the Bible so that they'd be templates for you and I to use to get ourselves through our tempest-tossed times, through our difficulties. Sometimes I'm so upset, so angry, so frustrated, so bitter, I don't know how to find my way back to God. So if you pick up a psalm and you begin to read it like a pattern in a template and you begin to let David help you get to that place. Why are you so far away from me when my enemy's right around me? Why have you forsaken me? I can relate to this. 
And so I begin reading it. And when I get through that psalm, I find myself in David's heart, reaching God's heart, and finding that God is sovereign and He's not far away and He will bless His name in my life and I'm going to be all right. You see, you use them as templates and you get there. And so God didn't leave us alone in our anguish or pouring out our hearts. He gave us a pattern and a template in the Psalms to help find them. And we see that in Scripture. Let's take a look at some examples. Oh, wait, I didn't even go through the blessings, did I? It breaks the power of bitterness. You get to hear from God's perspective. And that's, again, why we go through the Psalms. We begin to hear God's voice in the midst of David's song and David's suffering. And we reach a new level of glory. I like this phrase, prayer is one of the first casualties of discouragement. How many of you find yourself when you're discouraged, you pray less? Because God's not doing what you told Him to. Right? We have an expectation of what we want and what we believe we need and how we want it answered. And when it's not, we're discouraged, we stop talking to Him. How many of you are uh, at times frustrated and angry with God? Come on, get real. If you're not going to get real, then you're not going to pour your heart out. How many of you feel that there are times he He doesn't answer our prayers? But how many of you know that you can't go on that? You've got to trust Him and trust His Word that He will. And so pouring your heart out is essential. Let's look at some of these illustrations. Hannah. Look at Hannah. Now, Hannah uh, was married to Elkanah, and uh, he had another wife, too, who was giving him children, and she couldn't. She didn't bear any children. So she felt completely useless, and her heart was broken and burdened. And so she was so distraught, she needed to pour her heart out to God. And as she went to the temple to begin to pray to God, she was going for broke. And that's what Paul, that's, I keep saying Paul, that's what David's talking about. That time when you're going to go for broke. That time with God where you are laying it out. My heart is burst open for you. That was Hannah. Hannah had no children, and as she was going to bear her soul to God, she began to weep, and she began to wail, and she began to cry out to God that she was barren, and she needed, and she wanted a child. Now, you can understand the level of intensity she's at because Eli, the high priest, comes and he thinks she's drunk. Why would you think Hannah was drunk? Obviously, she was manifesting the symptoms that look like you're drunk. It says that she was weeping and crying out to God in such a way that no noise was coming out of her mouth, but her lips were moving. I'm imagining that she's just stumbling and weeping and ah, 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 like this. I've been there. I don't know about you. But I mean, with such intensity as you see, and here's the thing, words don't matter. This is deep calling to deep. It, it, it begins to resonate in the soul. Words can't describe the anguish, the anger, the pain, the desire, whatever it is. And so we read that, and Hannah answered Eli and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul 
before God. Isn't it interesting that usually it takes some calamity to get us to pour our soul out? What if we would, just being moved by the presence of God, pour our hearts out? That if we would become so tender to the move of God and so aware of the holiness and majesty of our God that we could so easily flush our heart out in His presence. That's what God wants. I think of her then becoming the mother of Samuel the prophet. And so what happened when she opened her heart to God? He opened His to her by giving the voice of the Lord in her child. That's awesome. That is amazing. Let's consider King David. Again, I'm reminded of King David. He did some pretty uh, foolish things and sinful things, but his heart pursued and panted after God as a deer pants for the waters. He says this, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before Him my complaint. Before Him I tell my trouble. And that's why He's telling us, pour out your heart. Pour out your complaints. Pour out your arguments. This is why David was a prophet and a king. Because he would pour his heart out. And the Proverbs tell us that the king's heart is in the hands of of God. And he turns its course like a river. And so God had David's heart. Though David did things foolishly and wrong sometimes, God could move in his heart because he kept bearing his heart to God. When he complained and he didn't understand something, he'd bear his soul to God and he'd get an answer. And that's what happens when you pour your heart out. You get the anointing of a king, of a son of God, and the prophetic. And So God is asking us to pour our hearts out There's someone else in the Bible that we need to consider. Jesus. He poured his heart out to the Father. Now this is an amazing verse. You see that as he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he's reaching there, it says this, he begins to pray saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now he had asked three of his disciples to come up further in the garden and to begin praying. So he asked Peter, James, and John, please come pray and read this in the book of Luke today. As they're praying, they fall asleep. Now he asked them, he said, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Jesus was asking them to pray, not for him, but for them, for themselves. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. But if you'll read the book of Luke, you will see that when he comes back to look at them, that they had fallen asleep. We think, oh, these guys, they can't even pray for an hour. Jesus said, can you not pray but one hour? hour." But here's the problem. Luke tells us, he says, that they fell asleep because they were so sorrowful and troubled and exhausted. 
They had bore their heart out. They had given everything they had in their prayer life and poured out to God because they didn't understand all that was going on. And as they're pouring their heart out, they're so exhausted and troubled that they fall asleep and Jesus says, oh, the Spirit's willing. But the flesh is weak. Jesus himself was beginning to weaken and tire in his flesh. So much so that as he's beginning to intercede and beginning to shift the ministry from doing the will of the Father to now obeying the will of the Father unto slaughter, he is now beginning to pour out his heart saying, God, if there be any other way, no, not my will, but thy will be done. And God sends a ministering spirit and it says an angel, what? Strengthened him. For what? So he could agonize even more. The angel came to strengthen him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. The reason the angel came is because he was weak, and he needed to bear out a greater burden for our souls in prayer. And the angel came to pick him up and strengthen him so that he could endure more agony for you and I. What do you think? We think the angel came and said, hey, here, I got some Kool-Aid for you, Gatorade, this will get you going. Or, or just, here, lean on me. That's it. That's okay. Shh, shh, it's going to be all right. No. I don't think that angel said a word. So I picked this picture. I just think that angel came and supported Jesus to strengthen him so that he would endure more agony. How much more agony? After he was strengthened by that angel, he went deeper into agony to where his blood vessels began to burst in his face and blood began to run down his pores because he was crying out for us that he would endure the cross for the joy set before him. His heart was broken open. Just hours before, you've got the, the, the 12 saying, Jesus, when you go to glory, can I sit at your right side and on your left side? Who's going to be in charge? We want to be in charge. Jesus says, there is a baptism I am about to suffer that you cannot endure. And there is a cup that I'm going to drink that you can't drink. It's the cup of agony. Brothers and sisters, there are times that you and I have been in places where we need to be strengthened, and the only place that we can be strengthened is coming to God. You may be disillusioned with Him, you may be upset with Him, you may be broken, but you need to go to God and break open your soul so that you will find the power of a resurrection. He was going to die, but he knew as he prayed there was a joy set before him for the power of a resurrected life. Amen? So how do we do this? How do we pour out our heart? Let's take a look at it, just like David said, so that we can un- accomplish this. First of all, he said this. Trust him. Trust him. Now, you don't bear your soul. You don't spill your guts. That's the theological explanation. You don't spill your soul, spill your guts to people you don't know, do you? You've got to have a level of trust right now we're to trust God there 
There are times that you and I can't trust. We don't trust Him because we haven't seen Him do what we thought He should do. And the things around us are not shaping up the way we want them to shape up or the way they should shape up. But I want you to know something, that it's time for us to trust God at all times. We have got to begin trusting God, and we have got to put an end to the question and the doubting. Right? I share a sermon. I'll probably share it again soon because it's time to. But I, I, I talk about tying a knot. How many of you believe there's a God? Anybody here believe there's a God? No, really. I mean, do you really believe there's a God? Right? All right. You do believe there's a God. Now, tomorrow you're not going to be convinced by some scientific discovery that uh, they're going to find at the North Pole or prehistoric this or that, and now it's going to prove that there is no God. Or, or are you convinced there's a God? All right, so do we need to go back down that alley again and, and go, oh, I don't know if there's a God. He's not answering my prayers. Maybe I've been fooled. You have got to put an end to this. If there's a God or isn't there a God, is there one? Tie a knot. It's over. We're done. I've been down that path time and time again. Some of you young people, I know where you're at. I know where you're at. You're being challenged right now with that question. In high school, in college, you are being challenged. You believed it because mom and dad brought you up in it. It's all you knew. But now you're going out there and everyone's telling you, that's stupid. Christians are idiots. You believe what? All right, and so it takes you down that path and you go, I don't know what to do with that. And then you try different things, you do different things, you end up in a mess. Talk to anybody in these pews, they'll tell you. They're trying to recover from all the stupidity in the past. And the sooner you understand and can not have to go down that path again. Now, okay, is there a God? There's a God. Okay, now, is there, did he love the world so much that he sent his son? Do you believe that? Do we have enough uh, evidence, archaeological evidence, textual evidence, uh, resource evidence, and sources from outside the Bible? Do we have enough evidence that Jesus Christ of Nazareth lived, died, and rose again from the dead? Who believes that? Anybody? Anybody? Do we have to go back again and prove it? It's not bad every now and then to learn your apologetics and know that, but are you going to doubt that? All right, so if Jesus died for you and for your sins, his blood was sufficient to appease God's justice and forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that Christ now intercedes for you. He ever lives to make intercession for you day and night. That is his ID, his identity, his purpose and function right now. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that's what he's doing. Therefore, you have to trust him because if he doesn't hear your prayers and he doesn't answer your prayers, God's a liar and the universe is done. So you cannot say, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't hear my prayers. That's an impossibility to the understanding of Scripture and to the identity of God's nature. So stop saying it and believing that. <laughs> so we've got to get that solved, right? Do you understand where I'm at? Okay, so tomorrow, if something horrible happened, God forbid, and that something shatters your world, where are you going to go? Back to phase one. Is there a God? Is there a Jesus? He was Jesus today. Is he going to be Jesus tomorrow in the middle of your calamity? Yes, so you must trust him. And if you trust him, then you must go to him with everything, every complaint, every, every cry of your heart. And don't listen to the people who say, that's a lack of faith. Go to God with that. 
God, these people. (laughs) Go to God with everything in your heart. That's what David's saying. Spill your guts. Go to God with everything in your heart, with your doubts, with your questions, with your wondering. Go to God. You're asking about him. He's the one who will give you that answer. So go to God. So we go to God when? Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, pray. So we go to the Lord. We trust him at all times. And the all times is when you're pouring your heart out, which is usually your worst times. And that's when you can trust him with that information. Pour out your heart before him. Why? He is a refuge. What is a refuge? A place of safety. A place of safety. Now, you may not get an answer immediately, but what will happen is you have cleansed your heart. You've poured it all out. And he can begin to speak to you. Right? How many of you, uh, I'm going to use this horrible illustration, but how many of you, I hate throwing up. Does anybody else here hate throwing up? I hate throwing up. It is awful. And, and, and you have that like, I'll go for hours. Because I just, I don't want stuff coming out of my nose. I don't want that. I hate that. And so I will suffer going, my stomach's going, and I go, no, I won't. I refuse. I'll stay up all night turning and flipping just so I won't throw up. And then inevitably, right, it comes. Then it's like, wow, that feels good. I feel fine. Why didn't I do that hours ago? We do this in our prayer life with God. We hold it, we stuff it, we compress it, we get it, we won't use it, no, no, no. You know what? Give it up. Pour your heart out to God. Now, I believe that as a church, we need to prepare ourselves and be a people who will help others pour their hearts out. We need to get ready for that because people are going to become into this church who are broken, who are wounded, their world's collapsed. Their whole Understand this, that when someone is seeking God, what's happened is their whole worldview has collapsed in on them. They're beginning to question, maybe there is a God. Maybe science is not our answer. Maybe man in the next election isn't going to fix anything. And who's going to do this? See, you see, we've got to be sensitive to where people are at. They're, everything's collapsing. And then what, what do Christians do? Oh, well, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you better change. You can't wear that. You can't say that word. It's like they're trying to find the answers to life, and we're telling them what to wear and what to say. Come on, folks. Let's, what we need to do is get them to Jesus, right? So, amen. We need to get them to the altar. They're broken. Help them vomit. Seriously. There's so much in them. There's so much bitterness. Now, not literally. Oh, I could see that. Our altar workers sticking fingers down don't do that. (laughs) I mean it figuratively. We love them, but we want to get them to Jesus. They've got to bear their soul. They need to open their heart out and begin to pour stuff out. They've got to let the filth come out. They've got to let the deception come out. They've got to let this stuff pour out of themselves so that they can get a revelation of Jesus. 
We tell them, do this, do that, believe this, do that, and we've never let them take the poison out. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to the altar. Let them pray. And then secondly, be like the angel in the Garden of Gethsemane. Don't say nothing! (laughs) We stop the work of the Holy Spirit so often because of our compassion. People come to the altar and they begin to weep. They begin to break. They begin to cry out. And what do we do? Oh, it's all right, brother. No, 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 no. Don't cry. Don't cry. It's going to be all right. No, don't do that. You've just stopped all the work of the Holy Spirit. Let them cry. Strengthen them. Give them a tissue. And just be there. Pray for them. But don't climb on them. Oh, unless they need that. Let them alone. Let them wrestle with God. That's what bearing their heart is. They're wrestling with God and they're beginning to search Him out and they're beginning to hear Him and they're beginning to recognize their own junk in them as it's coming out. Let that happen. You know, there are so many people who don't cry. When I'm working with people in in different places of anxiety, depression, and so forth, I I typically ask them, when's the last time you cried? About 10 years ago. Seriously. There are people so bottled up and so broken. Get them to just begin to pour out. Let them cry. Let the snot come down their nose. Just give them another tissue. (laughs) When's the last time you've broken at an altar? When's the last time you poured your heart out to God? You didn't care. And I mean the kind where you're beginning to weep and and you can't say anything like Hannah and all you can do is go, Oh! God's looking for that again in you. He's got some stuff to put in you, but you've bottled it up. Cry out to Him. Don't correct Him, teach Him, or instruct them. They begin to cry out. They begin to get mad. My father died. My mother died when I was young. God, I hate you for that. That's bad theology. Don't say that. God, I'll get you. Let them say it. They don't even know God. Let them say it. Let Let the pain, let the poison get out. And we stop it all the time. Oh, I gotta get to lunch. I'm sorry, I'm going a little long. Okay. Fooled you. But we do that, right? What's more important? That they touch God or that you get to lunch, right? So encourage them to cry out. Encourage them to pour their hearts out. And so that's what I'm doing with you. I'm encouraging you to bear your soul before God. Come to that place where you will pour yourself out. It's been too long, brothers and sisters, since we've poured our heart out to God. Maybe some of you did last night, but I'm speaking in general to where you've been moved by God and you remember the hot tears running down your cheek and the cries coming out from your soul that you've been cleansed in the deep things of God. What are the results? Again, we'll go back to what we've learned. When Hannah did this, God birthed the prophetic into Israel because a heart was exposed and poured out as a drink offering, God gave Israel the prophet they needed. Not just Hannah's baby, but a baby that ministered to the nation. 
And David, when he pours out his heart in song and in anger and in frustration, what did God do? Established his throne forever. He gave Israel a king, and upon whose throne the Messiah will rule and reign forever. And it comes out of an anguish and a cry of a heart. God is going to birth a prophetic word in your life through that. He's going to crown you with a crown as an overcomer. And last of all, Jesus in his anguish fulfilled all the promises of God. The high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what happens when you pour your heart out? The prophet, the king, and the priest of Jesus' reign begins to fill it. And you find a cleansing and a release. That's a good illustration. It's okay for that baby to cry because I think it's right on time. (laughs) I really do, right? I mean, come on, who do we think we are? We're so mature. That's what God wants to hear from us. Daddy, Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I made a mess. Clean me. Daddy, I'm hurting. This is what we're doing. Let's not pretend. Let's not be so quick and easy on our praise, our worship, and our prayers. Let's bear our souls to God. Amen. Let's pray.